What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast. I'm your host, Felicia, and I'm a lady talking about sex. And after long complications with Zoom and Soundtrap and audio devices, I have the lovely Sarah with us. Sarah, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah. Hi, everyone. My name is Sarah, and my pronouns are she, her. Amazing. And Sarah, do you want to give people an idea of like what you've done with your podcast and kind of what you've been talking about for the for the last little while? Yeah, for sure. So I have a podcast called Positively Positive. It is about herpes because I have herpes and I started it two months into my own HSV diagnosis after I saw people who had had it for years and years and they were still confused about how it works, they were still depressed about it. And like some of them were even telling other people who were newly diagnosed, oh, just like, you know, give up on dating, like it's fine. And I was like, whoa, that's like not okay. That's really bad advice. And I knew that I could sort out the information and organize it for people in a friendly logical manner so that's what I did with my podcast and I was getting sick of answering the same questions over and over and I was like (laughs) let me just answer this once and for all and I also share my experiences so that like people just know that they're not alone that's amazing and for people who like aren't super familiar with HSV can you like kind of woman explain a little bit what that is and how it like you know is manufactured in your body yeah okay so hsv stands for herpes simplex virus it is one of many viruses in the herpes family much like shingles and chicken pox but this is the one with a big old stigma attached to it so it most commonly affects the mouth and the genitals and some people might have heard it called a skin condition, but that's not technically correct. You can call it cold sores or whatever you want, it's herpes. And what it is, is a virus of the nervous system. So it most definitely may present as symptoms on the skin, but it is a virus that lives in our nerve ganglia. And most of the time it's completely dormant with no symptoms and it's super freaking common. So according to the World Health Organization estimates from 2016, 67% of people worldwide have HSV-1 and 13% of people, which I like to remind people is 3.4 people every 25 swipes on Tinder have (laughs) HSV-2. So either type 1 or type 2 can be oral or genital, although type 2 is said to be quite rare orally there aren't a lot of studies on it so I just take that with a grain of salt no that's amazing I actually have um HSV1 and I remember the first time I got it I was like 13 years old and I actually get it like below my nose Mm -hmm. and it it just it literally comes out when I'm stressed which is like really great that you pointed out the nervous system because yeah even as a young adult whenever there's an exam season or whenever there's just like a high influx of stress in my life, my good old friend just comes right under my nose and likes to make a big presence. However, I do think that it like under your nose is definitely not the worst place to have it because sometimes if it's like healing, I can just not look up at anyone and nobody sees it. (laughs) But no, that's incredible. And after I was learning more about it, when I was figuring out kind of like what was going on in my life, 
um, I realized how common it was. And actually, both of my parents also have it, which is where I think I most likely got it from. Um, Mm. Do you know a little bit of the science behind it being like passed down genetically and like the different ways it's transmitted? Yes. Okay. So first of all, it's not transmitted genetically. Um, It's not like something you would pass on. The only way it would pass to a different person is if someone who has a sore or someone who's asymptomatically shedding, which basically just means you have the virus, but there's no visible symptoms, kisses you or touches you in a spot where you have a mucous membrane, like your lips or your mouth, or you have like a little cut in the skin and the virus gets in that way. So you need like skin contact with either a cut or like a microabrasion or a mucous membrane, because that's how stuff gets into our bodies. If I just like, well, I have it genitally, so people really like, you have to have intimate contact in order for me (laughs) to spread it. But like, people are like, oh my God, I got it from a towel. Like that, like, it's not how it works. No, absolutely. Um, What I was gonna say about, um, it's not technically being genetically passed, but one thing that is important to, point out is that if you're pregnant you can totally deliver vaginally like that's fine your doctor will probably put you on um, daily antiviral medication in the later um, part of your pregnancy just to make sure that there's no outbreak when the baby comes because if you are delivering vaginally and you have an open sore then yeah that could get the baby could get that and it is really dangerous for babies but other than that like there's there's no health risks essentially No, that's a really important note to make. So I would love to learn a little bit more about like your experience when you found out you were positive, what that was like, just like in your day-to-day life. Yeah, so I got diagnosed in the fall of 2019. I was, God, how old? 27. (laughs) Um, And I contracted genital herpes. It was the first time in five or six years that I had unprotected sex. Um, So, you know, lucky me. (laughs) Um, But the way I think about it is like whether or not I used a condom that night, condoms don't 100 percent prevent the spread of HSV. So even if I had used a condom, like your girl still could have ended up with herpes. So, um, yeah, I don't you know, I'm like, whatever. I got it. Doesn't really matter how. Um, And nowadays, so it's been like just over a year, it rarely has any physical effect on my body. And when it does, it's super mild symptoms and they clear right up in a week or so. Sometimes I take medication, sometimes I don't. Honestly, most of the time I don't need it. Um, In the beginning, it definitely affected my mental health. I like freaked out when I got it. But after I learned about it and I was like, able to calm down, take a step back and knock some sense into myself. I was like, okay, this is like not a big deal. I can live with this. And so that's why I just try now and like show my life as like an example, like, hey, I'm out here dating with herpes, chilling with herpes, normal life with ups and downs like everyone else. That's amazing. And I also think that like part of the process is kind of figuring out who you are, how this virus is going to affect you or how you're going to let it affect you. Um, So I would love to talk a little bit about, you were under an alias for a while when you Mm -hmm. released your podcast. Yeah. Was there a lot of thought behind that idea or 
yeah what was your thought process were you still feeling a little bit of shame do you think you've like grown yeah I have definitely grown. So um, I think I mentioned I was two months in and I think I released like five episodes at the same time. Um, And that's very early into having a lifelong STI diagnosis. Um, So I was like, I know I can help people, but I'm going fucking crazy talking to this many people that are depressed all the time. I was like, I have to help people and it was therapeutic for myself like writing things out is how I make sense of things um but I have a very conservative Christian family I work with kids sometimes I work in the community and I'm like I don't think at this point that every single person in the world needs to know the details of my sexual health because that's terrifying and I was scared of judgment but I was like okay I know even though I'm still a bit scared I recognize that in these support groups, I am doing better than a lot of people are. And I think that it's really depressing that people are stuck in this state for months and months. But I was like, okay, public disclosure, that's like super scary. I'm just gonna use an alias. And I was really like, it was like the hardest decision I made about my podcast. And I had a therapist at that time and I was telling her, I was like, I want to be authentic and I want to be real and people to know that I'm a real person, but I also like, don't know if I'm ready for public disclosure. And she was like, well, why don't you just use an alias and tell people it's an alias? That way you're not lying about it. You're not lying about your name. And I was like, that is a very simple solution that I like. And I don't know why I didn't think of that. So I, (laughs) in every episode, I, I would say I go by Sam and at the end of every episode up until episode, um, 15, I think 15. 16 um i'm like this is a public choice i'm making but if you reach out to me um it will definitely be me reading whatever you send me that's amazing and i think it's so great to make yourself so available to people especially with such a like a taboo topic i feel like we're in this like sexual revolution but at the same time it's like contingent on certain things it's like sure you can have autonomy over your body and sure you can be sexually liberated and you know do your have your own kinks and things like that but then when it comes to like stis or information about like masturbation there's still like so much social shame around it especially oh the good old catholic guilt it's definitely Mm. in my family so i i can feel (laughs) you on that um yeah i i would love to learn like a little bit more about like HSV and maybe some like common myths or things that you think are just so untrue that we just need to debunk for people who are just learning about this. Yeah. So the first one, because it applies to everyone, is my favorite myth about herpes. It's that you've been tested for herpes. Nope. It is not included when you are tested for everything regarding STIs and STDs. It's a very specific test that you have to push your doctor to give you if you want it. And even if you ask, they're probably going to be really hesitant to give it to you. And if anyone is listening, like, no, no, I ask for everything. Okay, well, I encourage you to go look at your paperwork and let me know if there's an HSV test on there because there most likely is not. And most of us, we never even see our STI results or we we don't ask for our paperwork. We're like, okay, if the clinic doesn't call, we're good. And if doctors do test you for herpes, a lot of them don't inform you of a positive status if you've never complained. 
because the CDC states that they don't recommend it because the emotional impact is worse than the physical impact. But you could be spreading it to people who do experience physical symptoms. So it's like this vicious circle. Anyways, the myth is that you've been tested for herpes. That's actually super concerning. <laughs> is yeah. it when they test you for HSV one? Do they test? Do does the test? If you ask for her the herpes test and then mm-hmm. you push for it and your doctor does mm-hmm. do the blood. Uh, is it blood work or urine sample? So it's not urine. Um, there are different tests for herpes. So if you do not have symptoms and you want to get tested for HSV, it will be a blood test. And it's very specific. It's the IgG blood test. So what it is, it's it's testing for long-term HSV antibodies in your blood. The virus does not live in your blood. Antibodies do. And that's what the IgG test for HSV is. And does that test for HSV 1 and 2? Can you do them in conjunction? Yes. So I'm, some people say, oh, I got the IgG and they just said it was positive. And some people said, no, like you have to ask for the type specific IgG. So it's very tricky, but if you want, you have to ask for type specific. And even then, if it's like, oh, you come back positive for HSV2, even if you've never had symptoms, the test cannot tell you where the virus lives on your body. So it can't tell you if you have it generally or orally. The only way you can know the location of HSV on your body is if you have had an actual outbreak. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's a complicated mess, and I, I see both sides of it. I see the doctor's side. I see the CDC side. But I also know the personal side, and it's like, well, if everyone knew how common this is, that emotional stigma wouldn't exist because we'd be like, yeah, we know. Yeah, I'm sure if we did proper testing, we would have higher statistics, too. Yep. Um, that's actually really interesting. I never thought about it either because I have, I'm, I've never actually been tested for HSV-1, but both of my parents have it, and then I have, like, I know I've had the outbreak on my face. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really understand the complications behind getting tested, but yeah, I think... I think that's a big thing with any STIs too. It's always an overcomplication of like tests and you never, you, you ask for everything and it's just chlamydia you get tested for. And then it's just like, all right, if you don't have chlamydia, that's it. And everybody forgets about everything else. Um, is there anything else that you want to demystify about herpes? I have two more things for sure. (laughs) I mean, I have tons. I have a whole episode on S, uh, herpes misconceptions, but Um, This one is really important for everyone, like status or not. It's a myth that you're absolutely going to get herpes if you sleep with someone who has herpes. You are way more likely to contract herpes from someone who doesn't know they have it. If you're sleeping with someone, and especially genital herpes, but oral herpes, like same thing. If you're sleeping with someone who knows and they actually tell you, that's the least likely person you're going to get it from because A, they know how to manage their body with vitamins and meds or I say and, but or, um, they know other bodies. Like I know when things feel off, I'm going to avoid sex. And if people have the maturity to talk it out with you, which is probably not something that was ever done for them. You already know, like in that department, they're a stand-up person. Like maybe they're shit in other ways, but like, (laughs) as far as herpes goes, it's a pretty solid test of character. When someone's like, Hey, I have herpes. Um, you make your own informed decision. Um, and on this note, 
I want to point out that herpes is not contagious 24-7. Most of the time, it's a dormant virus. And the tricky thing is, it's sometimes transmittable without symptoms. And that's just the shit end of the stick. But it's not like COVID-19 where you just like breathe around someone <laughs> who's asymptomatic and get it. Like I said before, like you got to be rubbing with someone's affected area. You need intimate contact for transmission to actually occur. And for people who are like very new to the STI kind of game, what mm-hmm. does dormant mean? Dormant means it's in your body causing zero effect. So for herpes and my herpes specifically, so it lives in the nerve ganglia at the bottom of my spine. It's chilling. It's not coming up to the surface causing um, symptoms. It's not coming up to the surface asymptomatically so it can be spread. It is literally buried in my nerve ganglia. It's not doing anything. That's amazing. No, I think that that's so good because there are so many misconceptions about the transmission of STIs. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's super important to explain this to people because everyone thinks like, oh, you have it. There's your scarlet letter, your scarlet Mm -hmm. H, and there you go. That's it. It's over. (laughs) And then what was your third myth that you wanted to bring forward? My third myth is for... Anyone out there listening, because I know you're probably in a frantic Google state if you just got diagnosed with herpes, my third myth is that you're never going to have a healthy sex life again. Hi, hello, it's me, living proof that this is not true. Once you get over the emotional shock of stigma punching you in the face, your life will carry on. And there are people out there who know how common this is. They understand the reality of it. They're still going to want to bang you. And the reactions in your head and definitely in my head at first that you think people will give you are way worse in your head. Not once have I ever been disrespected when I've told someone my status. But that's a choice that I had to make. I had to make the choice that, okay, this isn't going to define me. I have it. Cool. It's hard, but no one is going to give your sexuality back except for you. I fought for my sexuality back. I fought tooth and nail for it and to get my confidence back after diagnosis. That's something I had to do for myself. And it's something if you are newly diagnosed, you're going to have to do for yourself because no one's going to come and do it for you. I love that. I'm so obsessed with that. I think that that's amazing. I feel like, especially as women, we're always questioning every single thing we do and like everything in relation to what goes on in the bedroom. And even for myself, when I started this podcast, I was really nervous that people weren't going to want to date me because I was so open about sex and sexuality. And for some you know, for some individuals, that's not their shtick, but I've kind of come to terms with it. And it's obviously not to the same degree as like having a positive diagnosis because there's much more stigma associated with that. But just understanding that your sexuality and your sex life is yours and it's not anybody else's to decide that you are valid or you are worthy of, you know, positive uh, and consensual relationships is just... it's just so much more empowering and like I think you get to the point too as you get older where you figure out like if someone's gonna have such a terrible reaction to this to my diagnosis to my empowerment to my own sexuality I don't want to sleep with them exactly and the best part is when you have you know something like this I, I I see it as kind of like 
like a golden egg essentially because you really can weed out the fucking losers really fast yeah (laughs) yeah it's really just like uh you know 100% that if they're gonna react so negatively or so ignorantly too um you just you're like all right see you later like that's enough (laughs) exactly 100% Okay, so I would love to pry into your dating life. I know most of us don't have much of a dating life at the moment, but (laughs) I would love to hear like maybe your first experience like going back into the dating realm after your positive diagnosis. Okay, yeah. My first experience, it wasn't good. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Now now it's good. So my first experience... um, I, it was someone that I had previously slept with before I was diagnosed. Um, and I was like, he was the first person I told in person. I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I actually, like, I went to his house to hang out. And then in my head the whole time, I was like, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it. And then I just, like, I left that night. I was like, I can't do it. And I was so disappointed with myself. Um, but then I don't know if it was, like, a week later or a week and a half or whatever I went again I was like okay like Sarah bitch round two we are doing this and I went over and like at the end of the night I waited until like I was gonna leave basically like 20 minutes before I was gonna leave and I told him I was like hey just you know like the reason I like haven't been having sex with you lately um I did get diagnosed with something um I didn't get the choice to make a decision about it uh but it happened um it's not really affecting me physically, but I wanted you to know if we're going to move forward together. Um, and then it was like a whole gong show. Um, <laughs> he was really kind and caring, but then after he like kind of freaked out on me and not even about the herpes, which by the way, he already had oral herpes. Um, like, and he was like trying to like, I don't know, shame me, but he ended up admitting like he was just jealous that I had, been with someone who wasn't him even though we weren't exclusive so it actually turned into more of like a jealousy issue instead of a herpes issue okay Um, so that you know that was that but now I've had (laughs) like now I've had you know um partners who like I tell them most of the time they do have questions um and I explain it to them. I go into it with raging confidence. <laughs> I'm like, hey, well, actually, first of all, I ask people what their history is with sexual um, health first. I try and get an idea of what their practices are and I let them talk. Shout out to everyone who's had chlamydia. I love you. You're so much better at these conversations. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who's had chlamydia, when I tell them I have herpes, they're like, it's okay. Like, don't worry about it. I got it. I get tested all the time because I'm paranoid because I got chlamydia once and I'm like, perfect. Love it already. Um, <laughs> but yeah, they have questions and I just emphasize that like, I know how to take care of my body. I'm not going to have sex with you if I feel off. Um, and we're going to use condoms unless we are exclusive. And I've seen your test results. Um, it's three months since your last partner. That's a hard line for me. No, that's amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I honestly think that, like, uh, like, it's so hard to navigate these things because there's obviously so many complexities to, like, the tests you get and the people you sleep with and, like, what type of relationship you're seeking, whether it's just sexual or if it's romantic. But 
that's definitely like I kind of like to ask people like their first introduction back into dating because it's like sometimes you got to fall to like come back and come in with so much confidence and so much autonomy and power so no power to you and yeah people are strange when it comes to this type of stuff but I even remember like when I was like 18, 19, having sex for the first couple times, the things that my partners would just spew to me, and I didn't know. I didn't have any education. I wasn't super sexually aware. Like, I was masturbating after I had had partnered sex. So I was just like all over the place. And I didn't have any autonomy over what was happening to me. So I really love that, like, now we're moving towards a more engaging and open dialogue in relation to you know, sexually transmitted infections and just like maintaining like healthy, like body autonomy, I think is super important. Um, so I didn't ask you what your sexuality was, but are you like heterosexual? Are you bisexual? Are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm straight. So I sleep with men. Okay, cool. So have you had any like stereotypical reactions from partners that have been extra juicy or have you just been really good at picking picking from the prowl I'm I definitely think that my judgment is very good people say herpes gives you a bullshit detector it's absolutely true (laughs) um but um I've never had anyone disrespect me um I think those stereotypes of like oh, like, someone is promiscuous or they're slutty, which isn't a real thing. Um, I think those stereotypes are a lot more powerful in our own heads because I went a little mental disclosing on Tinder after because I was like, I will figure out the perfect formula for telling people I have herpes and I'm going to practice so much that, like, no one will be able to, like, be better at having herpes than me. And, like, so I went nuts and I disclosed every single different kind of way I could in person, on the phone, on dating apps, putting it in my profile, not putting it in my profile. I tried everything um, and zero disrespect. And I was freaking shocked. I was like, how am I being more respected on dating apps talking about herpes than I was before? And I think people are just so like shocked and impressed and bewildered that someone is willing to be so open and so vulnerable and non-apologetic that it's like it's fascinating to them like STI education to me is like a fucking party trick because (laughs) everyone wants to talk about it and they finally have permission to talk about it with someone who they know isn't going to judge them um I think like one time a guy was like oh you're serious and then like never messaged me again (laughs) but like that's it everyone else is like wow I admire your honesty and like I admire your courage and so like tinder is always going to have a place in my heart I don't use it anymore (laughs) but it helped my mental health so much just going nuts on tinder like I never would say that tinder was good for your mental health but it was good for mine because it it gave me a reality check that like that stigma is bigger in my own head. No, that's amazing. And that's such a good point. And like a great way to use Tinder. Like I'm not really pro Tinder at all, but mm-hmm. like to help you empower yourself, I definitely think it's a good tool to use in the meantime. Um, yeah. But you spoke a little bit about your mental health and like 
I know STIs have really, really negative effects on individuals' mental health because of the taboo and the stigma associated with it. How was that process like throughout the year and how has your mental health like changed over time? Yeah, so in the beginning, HSV kicked my ass. Like when I was diagnosed, um, I actually had a lot of other stuff blowing up in my life at the same time, like health-wise, family and friend-wise, career-wise. And I consider myself to be quite a strong person, but HSV broke me. And I don't know if it was the straw that broke the camel's back or if it was the whole camel. (laughs) I will never know because my life was in flames when I got it. But I reached out, um, like I sort of mentioned, to online support groups and a therapist. I started seeing them. That was very helpful for me. I started the podcast, but HSV challenged a lot of what I thought about myself and how I viewed myself. I, I come from a privileged place of I don't have anxiety. And in today's day and age, I know that that's a privilege and I don't have mental health conditions. And my friends would say I'm practical and logical to a fault, sometimes erring on the side of cold, I think they might have said before. But I'm a lot more vulnerable now, which is really cool because now I connect to other people more and even people that I've known for a decade. Like once I told them I had herpes, they started opening up to me about all these things. And I'm like, oh, shit, this like has really deepened my relationship, like all across the board, platonic and romantic. Um yeah, I cried my eyes out in therapy every single week. And <laughs> I, I was like, I was in like a depressive state. I experienced um, in the first like two weeks, I'd say like um, a lot, a lot of heavy dissociation, which is like where your life doesn't feel real. And like you feel like you're watching your life and looking at yourself from the outside. So I, I totally had that. Um, I had a lot of like body dysmorphia, like I didn't recognize myself in the mirror at all, which is like a a mental coping mechanism that happens in your brain when something goes wrong. Um, Yeah, so it was really dark. It wasn't fun. (laughs) But then I was like, this is like, I know that it's normal. I recognize that from everything I'm reading and the experiences online that I'm seeing but I'm not going to stay here. Like, absolutely not. This is fucking ridiculous. Now that I have a technical understanding of this, I was like, this is not like, I'm going to beat this, this test result on a piece of paper. No, I enjoy life too much for this. I can't live like this because it's fucking awful. (laughs) Were your um, doctors helpful during the process or (laughs) were they God awful? Uh, Okay. They're, I had a very nice doctor. I didn't go to my family practitioner because um, when I was like having symptoms at first, I didn't know what was happening. Obviously, like it was happening to my vulva and I was like, I don't even have time to try and schedule. I'm going to like the clinic, um, the public health clinic. The nurse was awful. The doctor was amazing. (laughs) Um, Okay. But like, yeah, I'll never remember, I'll never forget the words. Like she took one look and she was like, so this does look consistent with herpes. And I was just like, fuck me. Um, She gave me water and like um, this pamphlet that's basically pointless. It has no emotional help. It was just like, herpes is normal and herpes is common. Goodbye. And you're like, well, this is fucking useful. Um, But she did let me sit there and she like answered questions and she was like you know you're doing really well like most people cry 
And I was like, oh God, how many herpes diagnoses do you give out a day? But like, she was not phased. Um, my family doctor, because I have seen her since my diagnosis for like other things and checkups and stuff. She's, uh, I'm like very conflicted about my family doctor because <laughs> the first time I went in after she said, because uh, I wanted to get routine STI testing because I was going to have a new partner. Um, and I just wanted to get checked for everything just in case. Like I knew I hadn't had sex with anyone, but I was like, I don't care. I'm getting tested again. Um, and she in that meeting said, because of your history, like 12 fucking times to me. And I was like, bitch, I get it. I have herpes. We can stop saying because of your history, this and because of your history, that I was like, you need to fuck off. <laughs> but so I don't know. They're, they can, if you, if you're lucky, you get someone who's actually helpful and empathetic, but it's not the majority. Um, yeah, that's for sure. And I think it's really, it's sometimes I have trouble with doctors because they're supposed to be intelligent. And then they say shit like, because of your history. And the thing that pisses me off with like the slut shaming association with STIs is that it takes one time just like it takes one time for you to get pregnant it takes mm -hmm. one time for you to get any STI so yeah. I don't understand this whole bullshit about your history you could have lost your virginity and like that's another thing that we could talk about for hours the concept of virginity but <laughs> you could have had sex for the very first time with one singular person once and contracted HSV and so I know people that that's their story like I'm not bullshitting I know people like that's yeah you're exactly right so this crap load of shit that these people spew is just like not super helpful but I was curious because you are so educated on the topic so I was wondering for people who are maybe interested in getting tested for herpes or just interested in inquiring more maybe if they have a positive result already what resources did you find that were super helpful and engaging besides obviously your own um that like helped you out just like navigating and understanding your body like who explained that to you mm -hmm. so there is a woman online her website is positive results.support her name is ray she's a nurse and a sexual a holistic sexuality educator she's certified in all that um so her positive results.support website is amazing just for getting to know your body and your vulva um, she has a positive result and she shares all this amazing information about your body and how to take care of it and like even period products and stuff, just like things that we're not taught. Um, as far as technical information, there's a website askingforafriend.us. So it's got a lot of articles um, that have science linked in them and, you know, reputable things where you're like, oh, well, why do you think that? Here's the study that says that. Um, so it's very accurate. Um, Ella Dawson has a TED talk called STIs aren't a consequence, they're inevitable. And she also has a blog about dating with herpes, which was really great. It's just elladawson.com. Um, there's a five minute stand up routine that I love by a comedian named Drew Michael. If you just Google Drew Michael herpes, I share it to everyone that I tell my <laughs> status to. Like if I'm dating someone new, I'm like, hey, I have herpes, here's the thing. Go watch this stand up, it's amazing. Um, and there's a really cool community on Instagram. I talked about the Facebook support groups I joined, which were amazing, but they can be depressing. But on Instagram, like if you po 
follow positive underscore results underscore us if you follow um safe.slut on instagram like just all these amazing badasses they're like yo we have hsv we don't give a fuck here's how you live with it here's how you chill with it um (laughs) yeah and i think the most important thing and it took me a long time to do is tell your friends and family because internet support is great it is not real life um, but that is the most important thing and resource I did because my friends and my family still love me. They don't care that I have herpes and still stare it to them and nothing on the internet is going to replace that in your real life. No, absolutely. And for the people listening and they're just kind of getting exposed to these topics, what's like one thing that you wish they could take away from kind of what we've discussed today? Um, one thing people should take away is that herpes is not always contagious. You don't know if you've been tested for it. Um, and if you do have it, you're going to be okay. Like that's what I tell someone who's just finding out. Like I'd give them a big tight hug, look them dead in the eyes, be like, you're going to be okay. You will have sex again. You did nothing wrong. I know you don't believe me right now, but it gets better. Um, and then I direct them to all those resources that are linked on my website and I'd say, you're not alone. I'm living positively positive and you can too. And then they'd probably cry if I said that to them, but I think it's amusing. So <laughs> no, that's amazing. And where can people find you? Like, let's plug everything right now. So if everyone who wants to learn and dive deeper into your life yeah. can find so it. So www.herpespositivelypositive.com. Anywhere you listen to podcasts, it's on YouTube as well. Um, the Instagram and YouTube are just Positively Positive Podcast. Email podcast at gmail.com. I picked a really long thing to repeat over and over, <laughs> um, but that's where you can find me. Um, you can leave ratings and reviews. You can donate because I think that this information should be free for everyone. I firmly believe in that. I don't want people paying for this information, but if you want to donate, that does help pay for my hosting and my internet bill and the website and everything. And yeah. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate you being super like vulnerable and just open and honest. And I'm sure the story gets a little exhausting um, retelling back and forth. But I really, really appreciate you taking the time um, to speak with us today. Um, Make sure to subscribe to the Ladies Let's Talk About Sex podcast for all our podcasts that come out every Monday. Make sure to check out the Positively Positive podcast as well. And we will see you next week.